Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. text for today is Mark 11, 1 through 11, and it says this. When they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and told them, Go into the village ahead of you. As soon as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it and will send it back here right away. So they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied by a door. They untied it, and some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They answered them, just as Jesus had said. So they had let, him, let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their clothes on the road, and others spread leafy branches cut from the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. He went into Jerusalem and into the temple. After looking around at everything, since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Welcome, everyone. For those of you who are new with us today, we are studying through the book of Mark. This morning we get a look at what your Bible calls the triumphal entry, probably, Um, and it's, it's, uh, I hesitate to call it a misnomer, but it's not completely accurate to what happened in this scene. Um, It's it's really interesting sometimes when you read through the Bible and you read the headings and then you look through the text and you're going, hmm, looks a little different. We're kind of in a situation like that this morning. Um, As we have started going through the the book, we want to always remember where we are in the book to be able to interpret what's being said and what's being done at this time. The purpose of the book of Mark, you will remember, is, there we go, to show us who Jesus is and to invite us to follow him. Where we are in the book is the third section Where we're entering in chapter 11 is the beginning of the last part. So we've been in the very first part, the middle part, now we're in the last part. The first two sections of the book, if you will, the who is Jesus and what does it mean to be the Messiah, those two sections have taken up about three years of time. And now we're heading into this section and it's going to slow way, way down. Now, for the last third of the book, we're going to be in about a week of time. And so, Mark has intentionally done that because he wants us to focus in on what it is that he has to say. Now, as we get ready for this chapter, we remember where Jesus is at the beginning or at the end of chapter 10. Jesus is coming from Jericho and he's coming up to Jerusalem. He's ended this section where he is explaining what it means to be the Messiah. So much of what he has done to this point has been, he's been doing miracles, he's been doing teaching, he's been doing explaining, he's been doing all of that. 
And now that part is over and he's moving to Jerusalem for the final part. And so all of those around him are getting excited because they know that he's going to Jerusalem. And for all the people that are with him, that means different things in their mind about what's going to happen and what does it mean. And he's going to the temple. He's going to Jerusalem. It's Passover time. And so there was, there's quite a buzz about all of that. So as Jesus left Jericho, and, and now we're in chapter 10 and verse 46 in that section, it, it recounts the fact that Jesus healed a man named Bartimaeus. And to my understanding, that was the last one. And now he's heading on the 15-mile journey from Jericho, which is way down here, to Jerusalem, which is like 3,400 feet higher. So I don't know if you're a runner, but 15 miles and 3,400 feet of elevation, that's what they were doing. So they were on their way. So as they were heading up to Jerusalem, they ended up in Bethphage and Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem. And that's where we pick up here in chapter 11. And it says, Isaiah approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives. This is where he sends his disciples to go get the colt. Now, as we look at chapter 11 today, what we're going to do is consider, first of all, the events of what happened, the events of the scene. Number two, we're going to look at the participants in this event, in this scene. And then thirdly, we're going to look at four facts regarding the importance of what happened here. So let's start with the scene, the events of the scene. First of all, you get this interesting little seven verses of our 11 verses is, is taken up with this story about this cult. What in the world is that about? So as they draw near, Jesus tells them, go get the cult. He gives them all the explanation. They're going to give you some hassle. Tell them we need it, and they're going to let you go. And that's exactly what happened. And they came back with that. As we look at the scriptures, we understand two things. We know that Jesus knew who he was. We know that Jesus knew that he was the Messiah. He knew what he was about to do. He knew what he was going forward to do. And he knew that this cult played into that, which is the second point. Jesus knew the scriptures. He knew the prophecies about the Messiah. And he invoked, or he lived out, if you will, the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah is a little bitty book toward the end of your Old Testament in your Bible. It's just before what in, in seminary we called Malachi. <laughs> um, and just, just before the New Testament started. And in Zechariah 9.9, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. Okay, stop right there. At this point, it seems like it's building up to something really big and powerful and unbelievable, doesn't it? Victorious and righteous and all of this. And then this sentence takes a turn. And it says, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Do we have any horse people here at all? Anybody with any horse? Okay, I can say whatever I want. Nobody will know, right? <laughs> so I jumped online. The, the key word here is humble. 
which is the opposite of what you would expect for somebody who was coming in to this event. And yet, that's what was prophesied in Zechariah. And not just a donkey. If you think about a king coming in victorious, you think of a stallion, right? As powerful horse and you you look at all the regalia and the swords and you know that all of the uh, officials of the city are going to be there there's going to be all of this that's what you think of when you think of a king coming in and yet he told him to go get this colt this foal of a donkey and foal means little bitty newborn basically if you've ever seen a horse when they're newborn, they've got gangly legs and they're very unstable and, and all of that. The foal of a donkey is probably about this high. So get the picture in your mind that Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a foal that's so small that his feet might be dragging the ground. That is the scene. That doesn't seem like a king coming in for a coronation. That doesn't, to me, seem like a triumphal entry, does it? And yet that's what was prophesied, and it was prophesied for a reason. Humility was an important part of the ministry of Christ. For those who claim to be a follower of Christ, this should hit us right between the eyes. This is my Lord and my Savior came in to usher in his final act of love. And he didn't do it in a defensive or in a showy way, but he did it in humility because of his love for us. And so that is the scene as he is walking or as he is coming into the city. Um, he enters into the city. The people are, they have to be confused, okay? Let's just be honest with it. The people that were around Jesus during this whole time were watching him do some things that they couldn't explain. He was healing people that couldn't see. Um, he had raised people from the dead. He somehow fed thousands of people with bread in the middle of nowhere. And there were people that were there that had eaten that bread. And so they knew that he had done some things that they can't explain. And so he's coming into Jerusalem. They're expecting all kinds of things. Some of them were on the side of the road and they were seeing the provider God. They, some of them were seeing the healer and they were expecting that. Some of them knew from the scriptures that the king was coming and they, they, they wanted to see him as a king. And so all of these people had all kinds of different expectations as far as what was going on. And spontaneously... The, the Hallel Psalms started to be sung because that's, that was what was normal during the Passover time. And so they started singing and they're doing all of this. And here's Jesus riding in on this little bitty donkey with his feet dragging down the road. And, and these people are looking and they're singing and they know they're supposed to, but this looks weird. And this whole scene happens as he enters into the city. So what in the world is going on? Well, Psalm, Psalm 118, as they're singing it, hints to the fact that some of them knew or some of them expected that this was the Messiah, that this was the king 
from the family of David as they're singing, as they're going forward. And so for those people, I think there was a, a special amount of confusion because they had seen Roman semin, uh, ceremonies before, how over the top they were, and this wasn't that. So Jesus enters in on this donkey, goes through all of this ceremony, and he comes to the temple. And as he gets to the temple, he goes inside. And this is, again, we want to talk about prophecy today. So the fact that he went and got the donkey, he entered into the city the way that he did was a fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9. And now he comes to the temple. And as he enters into the temple, it's a fulfillment of the prophecy from, I'll say it right, Malachi chapter 3 in verse 1, where it says, See, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord will seek, then, then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant you delight in. See, he is coming, says the Lord of armies. It's interesting that, that this prophecy was fulfilled in two different ways. The first part of it is, see, I'm going to send a messenger. That messenger was actually John the Baptist that we had been talking about earlier in the book of Mark. That prophecy was fulfilled in John the Baptist. But then he goes on to say that not only did he clear the way, but then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And that's what we're seeing here. Jesus gets off carefully, I'm sure, of his donkey and he enters into the temple and he surveys the temple and what's going on there. And at that point, he decides it's late, it's time to go, turns around, and where do the crowds go? Because every indication that we have at this point is that he, he checked out the temple and what was going on, and then he turned and he left and he went back to Bethany. It doesn't say anything about crowds. It doesn't say anything about him having to sneak out the back door and get away from people like he had in the past. It just said he went. I think that's a clue to the fact that people were confused at this point. They didn't know what to think. And so the, the crowds dissipated. He checked out the temple and then he left. A little bit anticlimactic at this point, wouldn't you say? So, as he goes back, the people are probably a little bit fuzzy about what's going on still. They don't know what to think. So the question is, at this point, this whole scene seems to be, even for us today, confusing. So what's the point of all of this? I mean, yeah, I mean, we've, we've talked about the fact that a couple of prophecies were fulfilled, and that's all great, but... You know, what's, what's the point of this? So what we want to do is look at the participants. We don't just want to look at the spectacle of the scene, which I think a lot of times we get distracted by these vexing details that don't make sense. If we want to understand, why were they throwing their clothes down? And why was he on a little donkey? And why were they, why, why? And we missed the point. So let's look at the participants and see, first of all, the people. The people that were there, they had a superficial understanding 
of the events that they had witnessed and heard about, okay? And so the people that were there that were singing, that were worshiping, they had an expectation of who Jesus was and why he was there. And I think that many, if not all of those people were very sincere in what they believed and why they were praising him and what they expected from him. But they just had a little bit of a piece of the scene. They had a little bit of an understanding of what it was. Even the apostles, we're going to see, and I'm not going to steal the thunder, but going forward, we'll see that the apostles at this point, they didn't fully get it. And as Jesus was telling them down the road that I'm going to give up my life, I'm going to go and I'm going to be um, arrested and I'm going to be killed and I'm going to raise from the dead, they didn't want to receive that because they didn't understand his plan. They had in their mind a different plan. They said, no, 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 no. You're, you're the king. You're our king from the seed of David. You can't die. So it helps us to understand that even at this point in this scene, the disciples who had been with him didn't fully get what was going on. The crowds did not fully understand. But we know the other thing is true is the scene wasn't just about the people. The scene was about Jesus, the Messiah. And what we see is that this was part of his plan from the beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, way back in the beginning, when the fall happened, when, when Satan deceived Adam and he sinned, in that same chapter, God made a way. He made a promise. He made a prophecy. He said, you are going to strike his heel, but he is going to crush your head. At that point, God stepped in with prophecy that there will be a Messiah for you. And we see that throughout the Old Testament, and I'm not going to do, there are dozens of prophecies that we could spend the whole day, we could spend the whole week going through. We're not going to do that. But in, in Genesis chapter 49, and, and one of my favorites is, is in Isaiah chapter 9. This is one that you probably have heard at Christmas time. It says in Isaiah 9, chapter 6, it says, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion, the dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. And there are many, many other verses that prophesy about this coming Messiah. And that's who Jesus is at this point. He is coming into Jerusalem to fulfill what needed to be done to be the Messiah. And he knew that. And nobody around him did it. Did, nobody else did but Jesus knew that he was the Messiah. This is all about God. It is and has been his plan from the beginning that he would raise up a Messiah. Don't get distracted by the show. Don't get distracted by the spectacle. Don't get distracted by what's going on around. The, the reality and the truth is that God 
has a plan and he is faithful to that plan. So we look at it and we say the crowd here clearly didn't get it. But we can. Okay? This crowd, they didn't get it, but we can. There are four facts regarding the importance of this event that are really important for us to know. First of all, is this is the continuation of the fulfillment of prophecy from the beginning to this point. This isn't the end of the story, but this is a faithful part of that. Secondly, this is the obedience of the loving Messiah, not the conquering king they were expecting. This is not, this was not the coronation of a king, not yet. So, this is the obedience of a loving Messiah. I want us to really understand that. This scene of Jesus in humility, coming from his throne to earth to be a man, to give his life as a substitute for us, living in humility is an example of his love that goes beyond our understanding. And as you look at the silliness of the scene of this man on this little bitty donkey, and he did that for you. We, we, we are going to do communion here in a minute. And we, we think about the love of the sacrifice on the cross. But this is a demonstration of his love as well in the obedience to the plan. And that plan was for us. Number three, God is not obligated to perform as we expect. You know, none of these people that were on, in this scene expected what happened. They all had different expectations as far as what God was going to do. Was he going to be the king? Was he going to be the healer? Was he going to be the provider? Was he going to, you know, destroy? What, what was he going to do? They all had different ideas. And yet God had his plan. Do you ever come in conflict with God's plan in your life? God has a plan, and God's plan is right, and God's plan is true. And then the, the fourth truth is God is not obligated to make sure we understand what he is doing. Sometimes we need to trust him when life circumstances don't make any sense at all. When life circumstances look the exact opposite of what we expect or that we want, and we need to trust him. I'm sure most of us would say, if God would give me the reins of my life, my life would have gone much differently than it has to this point, right? And yet God's, God's plan is always right. It may be confusing, it may be painful, and it may be hard, but it's right and it's perfect. We look at these people, it's easy for us to look down at them and think, you know, they had a lot of misconceptions about God, and yet we have the totality of God's word. We, we, we're looking back at it, we know what's going on, and yet we still have misconceptions about what, what was going on. And it's easy to look down at those people. 
But you know, the one thing that's true is that the fact that nobody understood what was going on and they didn't understand Jesus, and a lot of them were probably judging him, didn't deter him from doing what he needed to do. The fact that he knew that those who were closest to him would betray him, and he told them that, didn't deter him from doing what it is that he was called to do. He was faithful to the mission. And his mission to this point is not finished. Did you know that? In many ways, we're still the crowd on the sideline watching what's going on. Because in Acts, after Jesus had been crucified and rose from the dead, in Acts it tells us that he was taken up. And those that were standing there watched him go up and, 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 they, and the angel said, why, why are you looking? The one that has been taken away from you is going to come back in the same way. There still is a lot of the story to be played out. And we don't have the benefit right now of looking back because we're, we're living this life right now. Parker uh, shared a, a quote of, of Kierkegaard that said that, that we can only understand life looking backwards, but we have to live life going forward. Don't you wish you had the clarity of today that you have of yesterday? But we, we don't get that. When we really understand who Jesus is, and like I said, we have a lot more evidence than the people that were in this scene did. When we understand truly that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus is who he said he is, it changes everything, doesn't it? Because we know that we can trust him. And, and when the hard times of life come, and the scary times of life come, and we don't understand how it's all going to work out, or worse yet, we fear that what is going to work out is not what we want to work out. We can turn to him, and we can share with him, and we can trust him that he will never leave us or forsake us. He's given us his word to tell us the truth, that he is our God, he is our king, he is our Lord. He is in charge of all things. We can believe that, and we can trust that. It's easy for us to think, well, I've gone to church my whole life. I know all this stuff. Of course I'm a Christ follower. I've memorized all the verses. I've gone to the classes. I dress the right way. I listen to the right songs. I don't go to those kind of movies. I, of course I know that. Is the evidence of your life showing the reality of your relationship with Jesus? Does his spirit bear witness with your spirit that you are his child? Or do you live in fear that maybe that isn't true? Have you came to the, come to the place in your life when you truly understand who the Messiah is? And the old, the old term is, do you fear the Lord? Because if you fear the Lord, and this is a quote from another old-time theologian, 
remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Oswald Chambers. So a time of honest reflection for all of us. As life comes at you, do you have the safe harbor of the relationship with God? Do you fear him in that you know how awesome he is that there's nothing that can happen to you but what he allows it? And that if he allows it, he will be there with you and he will provide for you and he will care for you because he loves you more than you can begin to understand. As you look at your life, have you experienced the promptings of the Holy Spirit to do things? Have you experienced the conviction of the Holy Spirit when there is sin in your life? Is there evidence of your life that there is fruit that's born out of a love for God because of that relationship? These people in this scene were confused about Jesus, but that didn't change the fact that he was the Messiah and he was on his way to prove it and to die for us. And so as we sit here this morning, it's easy for us to say, yep, know that scene, it's a little weird, whatever. But when you look at the power of this scene and the power of what Jesus did here for us and the meaning that it has for us, it is amazing. It's life-changing. For those that know him and are secure in that relationship and, and, and have enjoyed that relationship, it's affirming. And to think that the God who created everything that is humbled himself and in some ways humiliated himself for me, for us. It just wells up within me a love for him. If it doesn't move you, if you haven't experienced that, this morning I'm here to tell you that he is offering that type of unconditional love to you today. He wants you to know that he did that and much more. And we're going we're gonna to see a lot of that next week because he loves you in a way that you've never experienced by any friend or family. And this is a day that you can say, yes, I understand who this Messiah is and I want to have a relationship with him. In a minute, I'm going to pray, and, and then after I'm done praying is our custom. Uh, you guys can just unprompted, you can come up here and get the elements off the table, and we're going to have communion. And that communion signifies the death that he was heading to when he rode in on this donkey. And as you think about that, he did that for you because he loves you and he is faithful to his plan. And if you're here this morning and you say, you know, I don't know where I am with all of this. It, I know a lot of stuff, but I, I haven't experienced the things that you're talking about. 
I would just encourage you to, to abstain from, from taking the elements, but after the service is over, uh, speak with one of our pastors, and we would love to pray with you about that. This is a time to be serious in where you are in your relationship with God. And if you're a believer, you know the powerful importance of the communion table and what that means for us. So again, after I pray, just go ahead and come up and get those elements. And as you go back and you reflect, the reflection questions this week are up on the screen. Um, now that you're in the crowd, are you confused, skeptical, or resistant, or are you excited, grateful, and humbled? Sort of think through your life, where you fit in that, and how does Jesus' faithfulness as a Messiah impact your view of him, his faithfulness to be humiliated, humbled, betrayed, beaten, and killed? And then is there anything causing you to hold back from the type of faithful obedience that Jesus displayed? As he offers the free gift of salvation to you today, is there anything that hinders you from coming to him today? Let's pray. Lord, we are amazed at the way that you have uh, put together the story of redemption for us. Uh, none of us could have begun to script it the way that you did, and yet the way that you put it all together was perfect and right. As we consider this, this scene that we've looked at this morning, Lord, uh, I just know that for myself, it's just such, uh, such a moving scene to know that you would do that, that you would be humbled and that you would do that knowing where you were headed um, for us. So this morning, I, I just ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would work in this room, in our hearts, if there's anyone in this room that's not sure of where they stand with you, that you would, through your spirit, just make that clear. And I pray that you would give uh, that person the courage to step forward and, uh, and to pray with us. Uh, Lord, there's nothing that would make us happier at this time of year on this day Lord, then to see you open somebody's eyes and draw them close to yourself and rescue yet another. And that's, uh, that's our prayer this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at or you can find us on social media at Gospel. Thank you.